Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, bless us as we come with humility before the throne of grace in Holy Scripture. We need you by your spirit to enliven and to awaken and give us wisdom here today. We pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. We're continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I encourage you to open your Bible. I have not been sleeping well this week. And that, it, it, for those who know me, knows, knows that's weird uh, in many ways. I sleep like a brick. It's annoying to some people around me. Now, I can think of many causes for my sleeplessness. I have, I have drunk coffee pretty much all day, all week, every day. Until, until it runs out, which is this week, it's been every moment of every day. So upper, okay. I have also enjoyed a few beers with all three of my bishops this week. Um, that's not good for your sleep either. I can point you to the science, okay. Uppers, downers, both of those are affecting my sleep. I have slept on three different beds, one, two, three different beds in three different cities this week. I haven't had enough physical exercise I've had a lot of appointments scheduled on my calendar, and none of those, or very few of them, have been with my wife and children. This affects my sleep. I have many people, children, who I care for in this household, whom I pray for, who are struggling this week. That's affected my sleep. I am afraid of what other people think of me. I wake up thinking about these kinds of things. I don't want to let people down. I wake up and I don't sleep because of this. I don't want to be rejected. That's just a few. I could keep going. I could go all morning. This is not about me, though. In many different ways, I have felt weak. I felt weak. And my weakness has led to poor sleep in many different ways, which leads to more weakness in perpetuity. Those with young children know what I'm talking about. It's hard to get away from that rhythm. On repeat, I am in every way restless. We live in the safest society in the history of the world. We are vaccinated. Our cars are crash tested and seat belted and AI assisted. Every pain we feel is medicated. Every desire we have can be satisfied instantly. Our government and businesses and churches and homes have more and more and more health and safety guidelines and trainings than ever before, but nobody feels safer. Absolutely nobody that I talk to feels safer because of this. We are immune, we are more safeguarded, more prosperous, more secure, and at the same time, the only thing we have to show for it is more fear and more anxiety than ever before. Soren Kierkegaard summarizes the concept of anxiety, and if I could summarize 160 pages of dense philosophy, he says that, this is my summary of it, we live in a world where everything is possible, where everything is possible, and with every new possibility, there's a new danger. 
This is the concept of anxiety. New possibilities. We have so many more choices, more danger. So more possibility equals more anxiety. This is the world we live in. Now, the most recent data that I've read, and this is from a book, and it was probably published five or six years ago. I don't really know. It says that one in three teens have crippling anxiety. Now, in, in the introduction to this book, um, it's supposed to point to a rising trend, but in all honesty, one in three sounds pretty low to me. I don't know who those other two teens are, but if you are that other two teens that are not struggling with anxiety, please come talk to me. I want to talk to you. Everyone I know, every teen, every adult is struggling with anxiety. I've not been sleeping well. I feel physically and emotionally weak. And that's how I woke up this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. The Apostle Paul says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I, did deci I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 3, And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and much trembling. I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and much trembling. The word of the cross, according to the Apostle Paul, is made manifest in his weakness. And his state of weakness is described with two words that very often go to, together in Holy Scripture, fear and trembling. Fear and trembling are contained within this idea of weakness. Weakness, fear, trembling. Three things with which you and I have a very complicated relationship, don't you? In the strongest and most prosperous and most technologically advanced country in the history of the world, we are more anxious and more stressed and more terrified. And I've been asking why. Why is that? And a lot of people have been asking this over the course of the last couple of decades. And I think we get some wisdom from the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so, two points this morning. I'm going to look at bad fear and good fear. Bad fear and good fear. What in the world is that? What is good fear? And then secondly, safe fear in the Father's presence. So, bad fear and good fear first. Break, babies cry when they're dirty. I have some parenting illustrations. Maybe it's the lack of sleep. I don't know. It's recalling old memories, okay? Babies cry when they're dirty. Babies also cry when they're hungry, and they cry when they're lonely, and they, they cry. They, that's just how they communicate. It's hard and complicated to be a baby, but let me tell you, babies here in the room, it doesn't get more simple when you get older. See, adults cry too when they're dirty. We cry when we're hungry. We cry when we're lonely, and let's add on top of that, we cry when we're afraid. We cry when we're really happy. We cry when we're overwhelmed with longing. We cry when we're overwhelmed with joy. We cry for a lot of reasons, a lot of different reasons. We are very strange creatures, us. The very same physiological response, crying, is used when we're joyful and when we're terrified. 
The human brain responds to sugar and social media and cocaine and the feeling of falling in love and playing video games with the same physiological reaction we're complicated people. The drug addiction crisis in our city, in other words, is very similar to our addiction to our smartphones. Abuse victims feel strong emotional connections with their abusers because it's complicated. It's very complicated. It's triggering the same centers of our brain, fight or flight. The very same addiction cycle is true for drug addicts and with those who are dissatisfied with their marriage. Our love isn't like it was at first. We don't feel the same we felt about each other at first, or a rush of blood to the, to the head. The high is gone. The rush is gone. Our psalm this morning begins with a twice-repeated statement and question. The psalmist says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation statement. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Another way of saying the same thing. Of whom shall I be afraid? In the psalm, David goes on to describe the felt experience of terror when enemies are surrounding him. The felt experience of being alone in a valley, perhaps uh, about to be drowned by a flood when the flood waters rise. The felt experience of pain and loss with a father and a mother who abandoned you. But the fear in Psalm 27 is not simply crushed. I don't know if you noticed this. It's not simply destroyed, it's replaced. It's replaced. Rather than being afraid of his enemies, his enemies now fall down afraid before the Lord. Rather than being drowned in a valley or vulnerable, in a cave, David is lifted up to the secure and fearful heights of a mountain or else a mountaintop temple. The terror of being abandoned by his father and his mother is replaced by the overwhelming sense of security and peace in his father's house. There's a shift. There's an exchange. I can imagine Psalm 130, even as David is in the valley... He's in the valley. I can imagine him remembering the psalm of ascents, wanting to go up into the house of the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness that you may be feared. There's forgiveness that you may be feared. In Holy Scripture, the answer to the question of whom shall I fear is not no one. It's not no one. The answer is fear God and not everything else, not man. The answer is fear God. King Solomon said it like this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He says at the end of Ecclesiastes, this is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say over and over again, do not be afraid? 
Well, yes, you're right. You are right. If you've been reading your Bible, this is the most repeated command in all of the Bible. Not just New Testament, Old Testament. It's all over the Bible. Probably way more in the Old Testament. The Apostle John wrote in his letter, There is no fear in love, but perfect love, what? Casts out fear. We're familiar with this idea. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, in Luke chapter 1, he praises God at the birth of Jesus, and he thanks God for delivering us from the hand of our enemies that we might serve God with fear. With fear, or without fear. That's, that's Zechariah's prayer, Luke chapter 1. Without fear, serve God without fear. Perfect love casts out a kind of fear, or else we might call this fear being afraid being afraid. Just after Zechariah's New Testament song of praise in Luke chapter 2, we have Mary singing her Magnificat, which we pray uh, every day in morning prayer. The Lord's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, without fear, and those who fear him. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he appeals for the Corinthians to bring holiness to completion In what? In the fear of God. In the fear of God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he says elsewhere. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God is working in you and through you to complete your salvation. Work it out. Don't be afraid. Work it out. Don't be afraid. So, circling back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul no longer fears men. He knows that he is weak. He's very, he's very aware of this. And go read his second letter to the Corinthians. It's on every page. But he is no longer weak and vulnerable. Why? Why is he no longer weak and vulnerable? His weakness has been transferred out of the crushing weight of this world into the security of his father. Into his father's house to use the image of Psalm 27. He feels the same physical symptom, trembling, the same same nerves are firing in his brain and his body. He trembles, but he's no longer afraid. He's no longer afraid, for the fear of the Lord is healing all of his anxieties, all of his fears, because of the cross of Christ. Because of the cross of Christ, Paul has been redeemed and forgiven of sin and adopted as a son in a new household and transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And you can picture with me the blood smeared over the door of the house of God or else we enter through the waters of baptism. This is another image we could use. A blood that speaks a better word. And as you... As you come into the house, this blood is smeared upon the doorpost. It causes you not not feelings of like, oh, I just love God, right? It causes feelings of wanting to bow in reverence as you enter into the safety of this home. There's fear and there's trembling, but in the house of God, weakness is safe. Paul's weakness is absolutely safe. Paul did not comprehend this grace because of knowledge, he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 2. It was born in him by the gift of God, and it's being born in him over and over again. The Spirit communicates the depth 
of God's mercy for him, for weak Paul, spiritual truths that are his possession in Christ. Even as he uses this language of fear and trembling, I imagine the Apostle Paul remembered these words from Exodus 20, and you'll remember that they come right after Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and he declares the Ten Commandments before God's people. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. It's the same language. They stood far off, and they said to Moses, You speak to us, Moses. I I want a mediated word. I want to talk to you, not to that guy, okay? You speak to us, and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They're afraid. They're trembling at the foot of the mountain, and Moses said to the people, what did he say? Do not fear. Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be set before you that you may not sin. Okay. Do not fear, do not be afraid, so that the fear of God may be before you. From far off, from far off alone in the wilderness, fear is crippling. Anxieties multiply, we cringe and we turn away from God. And this is right. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we hide afraid. We're afraid and we're trembling Outside the camp, like Israel in the wilderness, we distract ourselves from his holiness with our wealth and our parties and our medications and our entertainment. We melt it all down into a golden calf and we bow down afraid of something else. We're bowing down just to something else. Over and over again, crumbling down to the ground like drug addicts that we all are. We would all be terrified, afraid in our weakness, alone in the wilderness, if not for the cross of Christ. And this is the move. This is the move. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, the writer of Hebrews says. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us then with confidence, what, draw near, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The cross of Christ doesn't invite us to trade our weakness for power. We don't simply replace fear with love. That's a, that's a bad reading of the Bible. That's not how it fits together. It's not oh, God of fear, now God of love. It's not that. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Because of the cross of Christ, we are invited to not be afraid of fearful circumstances that surround us, like an army that surround us every day on every side. When we come to Christ, when we come before Him at the cross, all of the armies don't magically disappear. They don't go away. But rather than tremble in fear because of the attacks of the evil one, we can stagger on our knees before our merciful God and Savior. We don't shake in terror like a soldier on a battlefield with bullets flying over his head. We're not shaking in terror like that. Now we are like weak-kneed. We're like a weak-kneed groom 
who sees his bride at the end of the aisle for the very first time, shaking, shaking. Our weakness is only safe inside the loving fear of the Lord, or as theologian Michael Reeves says, the physical intensity, the happy thrill, the exquisite delight that leans toward instead of away from the Lord. It leans toward the Lord, not away from Him, not in fear. After a lifetime of pleading with God to take away my weakness, God responds to Paul at the end of his second letter to the Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How can we bring our weaknesses into the house of God today? That's what I want to answer a little bit here at the end. How can we begin to enter into the safety of the embod- that is embodied by the Apostle Paul for the Corinthians? He shows up in the flesh, in his weakness, with fear and much trembling. How do we enter into that place with him? Because of the cross of Christ, we are inv- invited to enter into a safe fear, a safe fear in the Father's presence. Our culture is anxious and depressed and afraid, and we are constantly being retrained to create safe spaces. I hate the word. I hate the phrase. It's annoying. I know that you guys in corporate life are way more annoyed than I am, but here's the thing. It's not working. It just doesn't work, ultimately. We don't need a safe space We need the loving, powerful presence of a holy God. There's the safe space in his presence with him. Every therapeutic and bureaucratic safe space is still outside the camp, still out there. At best, it's a temporary reprieve from the terrors of the wilderness. We huddle together and we're like, I feel safe for a little bit. At worst, all of the protocols and trainings are an altar that we constantly bring sacrifices to and we're forever anxious. This is where we stand. But God, but God enters in in Christ. Keeping with the theme, I got to keep with the theme. Blaise Pascal. It's a short one. It's a short one. This is, this is number 212. Jesus is a God whom we can approach without pride. We can approach him without pride and before whom we can humble ourselves without despair. We can approach him without pride and without despair. The only safe space for weakness is the presence of Jesus. This is the move, the cross of Christ. B.B. Warfield describes the compassion of Jesus on display in the Gospels with this phrase. He he describes the compassion of Jesus as the eternal movement of mercy. 
the eternal movement of mercy. God in Christ is forever moving towards us in his mercy, bringing the security of God's presence with him. Every time weakness encounters Jesus, they are healed in the Gospels. Every time when weak people come before Jesus, blind eyes see, a woman constantly bleeding is healed after decades. Calloused hands of stubborn disciples are redeemed. The dead are made alive, repeat, over and over again. And this encounter with Jesus isn't a benign encounter with love. It's not benign. In the presence of the holy God, these weak-kneed disciples, they see Jesus and they fall down in his presence. Like Moses and Isaiah, every man, woman, and child who encounters the fear and the love of God in Christ falls down on their face and worship. Surely he is the Son of God. Surely he is the Son of God. I want to touch his cloak. I'm on the ground in the middle of this crowd. Just have to touch him. So I invite you simply this week to join me in reading the gospel. Do it. Read the stories. This week, read them again. We must read the stories of weak and sinful people falling down before Jesus. This is one way that we can enter into the presence of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus lifting your chin, even as you kneel before him. He lifts you to see him with adoration, the happy thrill, the exquisite delight of a child who is safe in the gentle and powerful embrace of their father. Charles Spurgeon says it like this, in this childlike fear, as we come before Jesus, there is not an atom of that fear which signifies being afraid. We who believe in Jesus are not afraid of our Father. God forbid that we ever should be. The nearer we can get to Him, the happier we are. Our highest wish is to be forever with Him and to be lost in Him, but still we pray, still we pray, even as we come to Him, that we may not grieve Him. We beseech him to keep us from turning aside from him. We ask for his tender pity towards our infirmities and plead with him to forgive us and deal graciously with us for his dear son's sake. As loving children, we feel a holy awe and reverence as we realize our relationship to him is our father in heaven. A dear, Spurgeon says, a dear, loving, tender, pitiful father, yet our heavenly father who is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. We must enter into this safe place with Jesus in the Father's presence and have a safe fear in Holy Scripture. And finally, we must encounter the safe fear in the Father's presence through His saints. I'm convinced of this more and more every day. We need fathers who are not just on a page. Not just the Apostle Paul or else Blaise Pascal or the list goes on. We need fathers in the faith who embody the loving embrace of God in Christ right before us. I need 
and I felt it this week, I desperately need the humility and power of my bishop, of all my bishops, but I felt it very, very intimately this week in the presence of Bishop Steve. I need him to hold me, and I literally mean physically hold me. I need that. I need him to embrace me, to ask me how I'm doing. I don't know how you live without it, honestly. I don't know how you do that. I need a humble father who does not draw attention to himself. He is Bishop Steve, and this is, uh, this is thinking about uh, C.S. Lewis. He's not a greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that he is humble. <laughs> That's not the humble person. He's not that. Bishop Steve is absolutely not that. He is a man who is happy in holiness. He's happy in holiness. A cheerful, intelligent chap, Lewis says, who takes a real interest in what I say to him. That's what I need. The cross of Christ is displayed in the face of my bishop. And he was this week for me, and I desperately needed it. It was on display in the Apostle Paul's face to the Corinthians in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Thanks be to God. And if Christ the King Anglican Church is going to embody this safe fear of the Father's presence that was brought near to us in the cross of Christ, surely he is the Son of God. Then I must embody loving fear and holiness of Christ for you in the flesh. So, pray for me. Please, pray for me that I might be both a physical manifestation of the loving, tender embrace of the Father and a strong protector of this household at the same time. Pray for me even as I pray for you. We need holy fathers and mothers who embrace and guard and protect over and over and over again. So let us now with confidence draw near to our Father in his presence at this table. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand.